I wanted that promise. I wanted to have that witness. And so that worried me a little bit. Also, I was concerned that I didn't know how to get revelation. And we're told all the time how important that is, that we need to be able to receive revelation. And I would hear people talk in church about having promptings from the spirit or feeling the Holy Ghost. And I would kind of think, I don't, I don't really feel like I feel that very often. And I knew I was supposed to be, and that concerned me. The third thing was I wasn't confident that I had a personal relationship with my Savior. I knew all about him. I believed in him, but I was, you know, I would wonder if when I heard his voice, if I would recognize it and if he would call me one of his children, if he would say that I was one of his sheep and he knew me. So I didn't think about these things very often. They were just kind of in the back of my mind, little niggling doubts. But most of the time, you know, I thought, okay, I have got a temple recommend, so I'm good to get into the celestial kingdom as long as I don't do anything major bad, right? Kind of what we're taught. So about two years ago, um, Justin, my husband, Justin, you probably, most of you know him, kind of started on this new path and he started trying to get revelation and he was reading some different books and different authors and studying the scriptures a lot. And um, we had, we were on this, we had a really nice life. We were doing really well, successful by all the worldly standards. Um, And he got this answer one day. It was his first answer that he got in his mind. He could he could hear an audible answer and he was really excited to tell me about it. But the answer he got meant if we followed it, we would be changing our entire lives. We wouldn't be going down this path that we had been going down. And I was really happy with the path we were on. We had a great life. And so when he told me this answer, instead of being excited that he got an answer, I was kind of angry. Uh, I was, I said, why did you ask that? Why, Why did you even ask that question? Because we don't ask about things like that. We just follow the commandments. And then for things in our personal life, we just decide what we want to do. And that's fine. And I had never really considered that we should be asking about all these details in our life. It was more like we're anxiously engaged in a good cause. We're not compelled in all things. We just do what we feel like we're supposed to do. So for the next month, I really struggled with trying to figure out what I was going to do, if I was going to follow his answer and, or if I just wanted to insist on staying on the path that we had been on. And um, I was also trying to get answers during this time and starting to pray more intently and study some of the books he was giving me to study. And I remember one night he was gone out of town and I had been fasting all day and I was just sitting on my bed praying and um, I, I just finally made a decision and I, I said, Lord, I, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll give up my will and I will just, I'll do, if you tell me what to do, I'll do it. I, I won't 
do this path that I wanted, I will accept that you probably know a better path for me. You know, it's best for me. And after I said that prayer, um, I just felt peace come over me and I knew that I had done the right thing. And about a week later, I was up early in the morning, uh, reading my scriptures and praying. And I don't even remember what I was praying about, but I was in the middle of a prayer. And I heard this voice in my mind say, ask if the Book of Mormon is true. And I was really surprised because I wasn't even thinking about that. But of, of course, I said, okay. So I said, is the Book of Mormon true? And I felt this instant knowledge flood into my mind. Like I just knew it was true in that moment. And I had this uh, feeling of hot oil being poured over me. And I just started burning all over. And I was kind of shaking. And I just, I felt like I couldn't even move, but I was trembling and crying and just burning. And it was this intense, amazing feeling. And I was I didn't know what to do. I was just sitting there for 30 or 60 minutes. I don't know how long it lasted, but I was, and then gradually it faded away. And um, I was just so excited that I finally got this answer that I'd been seeking my whole life. And now I can recognize that I'd never truly prayed with real intent before that. I'd never really said, I will live according to the knowledge that's in the Book of Mormon, if you will tell me it's true, until I had entered that covenant to give up my will to do whatever he asked me to do. And that was kind of the beginning of my journey. And I've had other spiritual experiences after that. But I think um, for me, that one was so significant because it was really my first experience like that, my first baptism of fire. And about six months after that, we met some people in this group and started meeting, um, meeting with, with these people. And they were teaching us the doctrine of Christ and we started studying it. And you've probably heard Justin talk about how last summer he felt inspired to study the doctrine of Christ full time for many months. And it's really helpful if you're trying to learn the doctrine of Christ to have someone around that's doing that as he was teaching me many things that he was finding and many patterns in the scriptures to help me understand the doctrine of Christ and to see it. And he would, you know, he would say, I think when this prophet uses this word, he means the same thing as this prophet. And he would show me some scriptures and I say, oh, yeah, I see the pattern. I think you're right. And so that really helped to open the scriptures to me to start seeing this. And I realized that every prophet in the, in the scriptures is teaching this and they're living it and they're um, trying to tell us about it. And it's the most important thing in the scriptures. And I started trying to teach it to other people. And then I realized I didn't know it very well. And so I been trying to learn it myself. And I've had some experiences where the spirit has kind of led me and shown me some, some new connections. And I just wanted to share some of those with you tonight. And uh, you may or may not agree with my conclusions and that's fine. And I hope that 
more than showing you what I've learned, I can um, inspire you to study the doctrine of Christ yourself if you're not already, so that you can have these your own connections shown to you and you can find things that are meaningful to you as you study it. So I wanted to first start with just quickly reviewing what the doctrine of Christ is. Um, if there's people here that are new or, sorry, okay. So the doctrine of Christ that I'm talking about is what Jesus Christ calls his doctrine in third Nephi 11. And Nephi calls it the doctrine of Christ in second Nephi 31. And it is the covenant, it is the everlasting covenant that we enter, the path that he gives us to come back to him. And it has the steps that we do and the promises that he gives back to us. And this is Justin's pattern that he put together that has it divided into four basic steps. So I like this. It, it works for me to understand it and to teach it to other people. And it's it's been great to help our kids understand it. So the first step is what he calls coming unto Christ. And that includes faith and repentance and baptism by water and having a broken heart and contrite spirit. Um, some other words in the scriptures might be meekness and lowliness of heart. Return unto me and be converted. After we do that step, the Lord promises us that he will baptize us with fire and the Holy Ghost. This is the first comforter step. Um, He promises to redeem us, to take us as his child, that we will be reborn and find mercy. And he will heal us and fill us with hope and charity. The next step is our, our part again, enduring to the end, as we have now entered the the gate into the straight and narrow path um, with the first comforter. Now we can press forward on that path, feasting on the words of Christ and holding on to the rod. And then he will bless us with the second comforter, uh, which is being taken up into his presence and his glory. Um, This is described in the scriptures as the other comforter or the promise of eternal life, salvation, calling an election made sure, the Holy Spirit of promise, lifted up at the last day, and the glory of the celestial kingdom. So you can see here some of the code words that you can find in the scriptures that help you recognize the doctrine of Christ. And this has really helped me to see it when I couldn't see it before. I didn't even really know what this was before. And if you have any questions about where these code words came from, um, you can go back and read some of the, some of the documents on the doctrine of Christ website. There's a lot of papers that talk about the doctrine of Christ and explain more about how, how we found these code words or how this is Justin's work. I'm not taking credit for that. So that if you have any questions, then you can refer to those or ask him questions. So As I was studying this one day, I found a few scriptures that were talking about peace, and it seemed to me that they were relating it to the first comforter experience. And so that kind of made me wonder if 
just like charity and mercy, if peace is one of the gifts that our Savior gives us when we receive the first comforter. And I had the thought today that different prophets use different words to describe this experience. And I wondered if maybe they use the word of the thing that was the most significant to them. So Alma uses the word mercy. So I wondered if maybe for him, the mercy was what stood out about the experience. And I don't know if that's true, but I, but I do see a lot of different prophets using this word peace. And so I started studying it and I found it all over the place. So just want to show you some of the things that I found and you can see if you agree with me or not. You can tell me in the comments at the end and I won't even hear it. So the, I first looked at some of my favorite first comforter experiences. So this is King Benjamin's people when they, as a group, all received the baptism of fire and Holy Ghost. The spirit of the Lord came upon them and they were filled with joy, having received a remission of their sins and having peace of conscience because of the exceeding faith which they had in Jesus Christ who should come. So you can see that peace of conscience was something that went along with that experience. The next one is Adam when he received the first comforter. Therefore, it is given to abide in you the record of heaven, the comforter, the peaceable things of immortal glory. Okay, and then this is Alma the Younger. And never until I did cry out unto the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy did I receive a remission of my sins. But behold, I did cry unto him, and I did find peace to my soul. And this is my favorite one, the 300 Lamanites in the prison. And behold, the Holy Spirit of God did come down from heaven and did enter into their hearts. And they were filled as if with fire, and they could speak forth marvelous words. And it came to pass that there came a voice unto them, yea, a pleasant voice, as if it were a whisper, saying, Peace, peace be unto you, because of your faith in my well-beloved, who was from the foundation of the world. So I love that all of those experiences talk about peace. And, and then I found this scripture in John. Um, at this point, the Savior is teaching his apostles about how he is going to be leaving them. And he had been telling them that, but they didn't really seem to get it. And in the this chapter and 15 and 16, he is teaching them about the Holy Ghost a lot. He talks, so he says here, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So I love that he teaches them about the Holy Ghost. And then the very next verse, he talks about peace and he makes it clear that the kind of peace he's talking about is not the kind of peace that we think of in the worldly definition. And at the end of chapter 16, when he's finishing up talking to them, 
He says, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So he talks about how they're going to have tribulation. And I think about all the things they went through after he died. And they were you know, persecuted and tortured. And eventually they were all killed. And so clearly the kind of peace he means is not peace like like we think of and um it makes sense to me that he's that he's connecting this with the comforter uh, and this is a gift that he gives to us and i i have felt this gift before i have felt even when things are going crazy or family and friends are you know saying rude things about me or whatever's going on in my life i i can feel peace knowing that i'm doing the right thing um, and he gives me that peace, and I'm I'm thankful for that gift that he gives us. I also found some scriptures that talk about how the Holy Ghost works. I'm sure you've all heard this scripture given to Oliver Cowdery when he was told, "Did I not speak peace to your mind?" And uh, and then this scripture in Philippians. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I've noticed a pattern when the words hearts and minds are linked. It is talking about the way the Holy Ghost works, just like in this scripture in section 8. Yea, behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. So this is... When I link those two scriptures, that's another testimony to me that the peace of God is from the Holy Ghost. This is one of my favorite Doctrine of Christ scriptures. Doctrine and Covenants 19.23. Learn of me and listen to my words. Walk in the meekness of my spirit and you shall have peace in me. So if you see the repentance process and having faith and having a broken heart and contrite spirit. And then you think about that's that first step coming onto Christ. And what does he promise us after that first step? He promises us the first comforter. So you can see how I can connect peace in the scripture by where it falls in the pattern. I also found many scriptures that connect this idea of peace with eternal life. And when you think about eternal life also being a code word for the second comforter, that seems significant to me. And I found many scriptures where these were together. In this scripture, but learn that he who doeth the works of righteousness shall receive his reward, even peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come. So those who do the, the works of righteousness, what do we get promised? We get promised the first comforter and the second comforter, peace and eternal life. And here's another one from Nephi, a work which shall be everlasting. So I thought about that and that reminded me of the everlasting covenant is this work. And it's to convince us to have those promises of the first comforter and the second comforter, peace and life eternal, or else we can be brought down into captivity and destruction. 
So as I've been trying to share the doctrine of Christ with people, I have come across a few a few people who don't accept the restoration scriptures. They only want to talk about the Bible, which is fine, but it's a lot harder to me to find the doctrine of Christ in the Bible. Um, we know that many of the truths have been taken out of the Bible by evil and conspiring men. And I found that when I started studying this topic of peace, uh, I found a lot more scriptures in the Bible than I had before when I started making peace a code word for the first comforter. So I wanted to show you some of the scriptures I found in the Bible and kind of how I analyze them. Maybe this will help you in your study to, to be able to spot it. So Moses, when Moses was on the earth, he had his people and he was trying to bring them to the same experiences that he had. He wanted them to also come into the presence of the Lord and speak to him face to face, but they would not do that. They did not want that. And so they were, they had the higher law taken out of their midst. And instead they were given the law of Moses and under the law of Moses, they had all of these rules and sacrifices that they did. And I, I've been reading the Old Testament, trying to find the doctrine of Christ. And I got to the book of Leviticus and it was really hard for me to read. I just couldn't see. It just seemed like so many rules and so many strange traditions and things that they were taught to do. And when I started studying this idea of peace, I was thinking about the three types of offerings that they were asked to do, and they always did them in the same order. They did the sin offering, and then they did the burnt offering, and then they did the peace offering. And you can probably see where this is going. Um, the sin offering is the repentance step, and the burnt offering is the sanctification that we receive through the baptism of fire. And the peace offering is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so all of a sudden, this made a lot more sense to me of why they were given some of these rules and ordinances to do. And they were, the Lord was still always trying to get them to turn to him and see the doctrine of Christ. And I hope that some of them were able to, to find that and still receive that higher law. I love the book of Isaiah because he is talking so much to us and to our day. Um, sometimes it can be hard to understand, but I found that he uses the word peace a lot in his scriptures. And so you can see this scripture, the Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob. And then there is no peace, saith the Lord unto the wicked. So if I pull out these keywords that mean different things in the doctrine of Christ, you can see what he's saying a little bit better. He gives the first comforter and redeems his servants, but he doesn't do the same unto the wicked. Here's another one in Isaiah, the way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. When I was reading this scripture, I was trying to figure out what does the way of peace mean? Um, and I kind of compared that to the crooked path. And that made me think about the straight and narrow path. 
being the opposite of that. And so I took, I took that to mean that the way of peace is this straight and narrow path that we endure on to the end. After we have entered into that path by receiving the first comforter. And this scripture in chapter 32, and the work of righteousness shall be peace. So if I think of peace as being the first comforter, then I can work backwards and say, okay, well, what is the work of righteousness? That must be the step that leads us to the first comforter. This must be the coming unto Christ step or having a broken heart and contrite spirit and repenting and having faith. All of those things are the work of righteousness. And I found this scripture in Alma that also talks about the works of righteousness. And at at the beginning, he says, have you spiritually been born of God? Have you received his image in your countenances? Have you experienced this mighty change in your hearts? So what's he talking about here? He's talking about the first comforter experience. And, and so it makes sense now. He says, can you imagine that the Lord will say unto you that your works have been works of righteousness upon the face of the earth? So that was a good connection for me to feel like, okay, yeah, that's what the works of righteousness are. Those things that we need to do in order to have the baptism of fire and Holy Ghost. Jeremiah is also one of my favorite prophets. I read the whole book of Jeremiah this year, and I was just amazed at how how much he's speaking to us also, just like Isaiah, and how much doctrine of Christ is in that book. And when I read this scripture, it really just hit me hard when I thought about what peace means. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. And if we think about peace being code word for the first comforter, do you know anyone who's teaching a lot about the Holy Ghost when people don't really have the Holy Ghost? That scripture just really hit me hard with that meaning. This scripture in Malachi has a lot of doctrine of Christ in it. And I don't think I'd ever seen it before, before I made that link between life and peace. So it talks about the covenant, which we know is the everlasting covenant. And if we think about life and peace being the first and second comforter again, and then who does he give that to? He gives them to those that fear him or have a broken heart and contrite spirit. So I have this friend that is studying Hebrew right now, and I asked her, um, do you have any insights into the word shalom, which means peace, because I'm studying about peace. And she told me, I didn't realize in Hebrew, every letter has its own meaning. And so when you have a word, the word has a meaning, like shalom means peace, but each letter also has a meaning itself. And so you have kind of these hidden meanings in every word in Hebrew, which is cool. So I liked this meaning. If you put the letters and they put them, they read from right to left. So they go the opposite way. But it means destroy authority connected to chaos or destruction. And I thought about that. That seemed really interesting for these last days when you think about 
how there's going to be, you know, world leaders or the Antichrist or people who are trying to control everyone and how if we can have a power that destroys that authority that's connected to all this destruction, how important that would be. And I really love that thought of, of peace being that idea and how having the first comforter will give us that power. So I thought that was kind of a cool meaning there. Um, I also found a lot of key scriptures in the New Testament. So this scripture in Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't know what the word justified means, it means declared righteous in the sight of God. And so I think about Jesus declaring us righteous and going to Father on our behalf and pleading with him to give us this gift of the first comforter so that we can have peace with God. I love that imagery. Second Timothy 2 Follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So this has all the steps here, repentance and faith. And then we receive charity and peace or the first comforter for those that have a broken heart and contrite spirit. Romans 8, 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I think I found a life and peace scripture in every book of the scriptures. So if we're spiritually minded, we're promised the first and second comforter. So this scripture is about John the Baptist. And if you remember the story, when his father, Zacharias, heard the blessing that his Wife Elizabeth, who was older, was supposed to conceive a child. He was disbelieving. And so he lost his power of speech and he didn't regain it until after the baby was born and he took him to the temple. And then when he regained his power of speech, he gave this beautiful prophecy. And he first talks about Jesus Christ coming. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. And then he starts talking to the baby. And thou child shall be called the prophet of the highest for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So I've, I've never read this as having the doctrine of Christ before, but it is everywhere. There's so many mentions of the first comforter, redeemed and mercy and remission of sins. And it talks about the everlasting covenant and salvation and this way of peace again that we've seen before. So as I was studying about peace, I also found scriptures about peacemakers. And this is one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. 
And I had always just thought of a peacemaker as someone who tries to resolve conflicts and doesn't fight with other people. But when I started thinking about this, I wondered if there's a lot deeper meaning to being a peacemaker and why is their blessing that they shall be called the children of God. Um, there's a lot of scriptures who, that talk about becoming the children of God. This one in section 45, but unto as many as received me, gave I power to do many miracles and to become the sons of God. And even unto them that believed on my name, gave I power to obtain eternal life. So we can see when we become the sons of God, we also receive the power to do miracles, which is a spiritual gift. And then also the power to obtain eternal life. So you can see the doctrine of Christ here. And King Benjamin teaches it even more clearly he says when you enter this covenant you should be called the children of christ become his children and then he will spiritually begotten you and your hearts are changed through faith on his name therefore you are born of him and have become his sons and his daughters so we can see that we become the children of christ or god when we receive our first comforter so that, you know, I'm still thinking about, okay, what's, what are the peacemakers? And I found this other verse in James 3.18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace for those that make peace. So the peacemakers. So I was thinking, okay, what is this fruit of righteousness that gets planted? And if it's planted in peace, is that when we receive our baptism of fire and Holy Ghost? And Galatians 6, 8 says, he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. So we plant this seed and it grows up. And what is the fruit that we harvest? It's everlasting life or the second comforter. So I love this imagery that we, when we start in this path, we receive the first comforter and it's like a seed is being planted. And then we progress along this path, trying to do whatever he asks. And slowly we have this tree grow up and eventually we reach the end of the path and we get to enjoy this fruit. So when I, when I think about the peacemakers, it seems to me that this is the step that comes before the first comforter, the coming unto Christ step. And so maybe being a peacemaker is seeking after these things, seeking after receiving the first comforter and seeking to have faith and repent and have a broken heart and contrite spirit. Maybe that is how we are a peacemaker. I also found the topic of establishing peace when I was studying, and I love this scripture in Second Nephi where it's talking about the Book of Mormon and the Bible coming together and how they will confound false doctrines and establish peace. And, and then it talks about bringing them to a knowledge of their fathers in the latter days and also to the knowledge of my covenants. So it's teaching them about this everlasting covenant and also bringing back, helping them have that first comforter, establishing peace. And King Benjamin also was one who sought to establish peace. 
and he did it by speaking the word of God with power and with authority and by laboring with all the might of his body and the faculty of his whole soul and also all the prophets. And were they successful? We, we know that all of his people that were there that day received the baptism of fire and Holy Ghost. So he was able to establish peace in the land. And, you know, you might, I'm sure we could also say that there was peace, worldly peace in the land. And I, I think that's probably true that if we have godly peace, then we also have this worldly peace because that would lead to that if all the people are living that way. These scriptures, I really love talking about being a publisher of peace. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. So what are these people doing? They're teaching about peace and salvation, the first comforter and the second comforter. And in section 112, it talks about publishing my name or teaching his doctrine. And this scripture in Nephi teaches the whole doctrine of Christ and blessed are they who shall seek to bring forth my Zion at that last at that day for they shall have the gift and the power of the Holy Ghost and if they endure unto the end they shall be lifted up at the last day and shall be saved in the everlasting kingdom of the Lamb so he teaches them all the steps of the doctrine of Christ and then he says and whoso shall publish peace or who Ever will teach this doctrine how beautiful upon the mountains shall they be it's very interesting in all of these verses about publishing peace it talks about zion and that this is the whole point of teaching the doctrine of christ is bringing people to zion having enough people that have received their first comforter that they can start a zion community and this is what we're promised in the everlasting covenant is that Zion can come back on the earth. And I just want to end with these two scriptures. Second Thessalonians 3.16. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. So I can see here the Lord of peace gives us the first comforter and then he can be with us, the second comforter. And Mosiah 15.18. The founder of peace, yea, even the Lord, who has redeemed his people, yea, him who has granted salvation unto his people. So he is the founder of peace. He is the one who brings these gifts to us. He redeems us, first comforter, and he gives us salvation, second comforter. So I hope that you've been able to get some new ideas tonight. Um, I don't know if you agree with my interpretations, that's fine. But um, I do want to testify that if you, if any of you have not started studying this, I really encourage you to start because I have had the scriptures opened up to me in a way that they never were before. And I felt the spirit show me things and lead me and guide me through different scriptures and help me understand them and show me some of these patterns so that I could understand it more fully and be able 
to teach it to other people. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.